Our scripture lesson is taken from the seventh chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 following, I am reading from the New American Standard Version. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go into peace. Amen. May God bless to our hearts an understanding of this, his word. Last uh, Wednesday in chapel, there were a number of young people who came forward after a gospel invitation had been given and who came later back into the study and met with our speaker and with Dean Newton Wilson and with myself. There were questions that were raised about the forgiveness of sins and a new start in life. And I believe that it prompted in my own heart a need to go back to a passage of scripture which I have read again and again. And each time that I read, I learn to love it more. For I feel that it tells us of the greatest of all of the miracles in the Bible. It tells us 
of the forgiveness of sins. If you study carefully Dr. Luke, and I think it's so fitting that this morning a doctor should have been here to present his child uh, for the covenant uh, of grace and baptism. Here, Dr. Luke writes down a great many interesting things. He is a physician, but he is also a careful historian. And I think Luke had as much concern about those miracles of spiritual healing as he did about miracles of physical healing. And perhaps it is for this reason that in chapter 7, we find him in the city of Capernaum, the Lord Jesus, and we see that a centurion, a Roman captain over a hundred men, had sent a message to Jesus, telling him that he had a servant who was sick and was about to die and that he loved his servant very much. And he had heard about Jesus and would Jesus be willing to come and to heal his servant. He said to Jesus, I am a man of authority and I say to one man do this and he does it and to another man do this and he does it. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to come under the roof of my house. But if you will but speak the word, my servant will be healed. And here, one of the only two times that Jesus uses the word marvel, Jesus marveled at his faith. Another time he marveled at unbelief. But here he marvels at the faith of this Roman centurion. Now, Jesus knew that this Roman was, of course, a Gentile, and that there were Pharisees who would criticize him for fellowshipping with Gentiles. And this Roman centurion demonstrated a fine and delicate sense of propriety in saying to Jesus, I know how they feel about you if you came under my roof, and so you don't have to come to my house. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus healed the centurion's servant. And that healing is a great miracle. I'm glad that we have physicians and doctors. I know something of what it is to suffer pain. Many of you do too. And so you're thankful to God for those who alleviate our distress and our suffering. We know what it is to see people in pitiful conditions. I wish to God that I had it in my power to walk out into the congregation to speak to every person here and to ask you what was troubling you and what's the deepest need in your heart and that I could touch you and heal you or make you well or resolve that difficulty. I wish that I could walk down Montreat Road and go to Dogwood Manor and go to those pitiful people who are old and feeble and see them healed. I wish that I could go to the VA hospital. I wish that I could go to Appalachian Hall, the psychiatric hospital, and all of the hospitals and see healing come. It would be a great and merciful thing to do, and we would love to do it. But as great as this miracle is, the young man here who is healed, the centurion, will get sick again, and one day he'll die. In verse 11 of chapter 7, Jesus sees a funeral procession. They had a wicker stretcher made out of straw, and they were bearing a, a, a widow's only son out of the town to bury him. And Jesus stopped the funeral procession. 
He heard this widow mourning and weeping. A widow would be in a desperate plight with her son gone and dead, and her heart was broken. And Jesus was touched with her grief. Last week we talked about the courage to care, and Jesus always cares. He was vulnerable because he cared, and we are vulnerable when we care. We have to make ourselves open and available. And we have to be willing to pay the cost of caring. Well, Jesus cared, and he stopped the funeral procession. And he raised this young boy who was dead to life again. I always like to point out at this point that some of the liberal commentators say that he was only in a swoon. And so Jesus really didn't raise him from the dead. That's a bunch of baloney. If that had been the case, Jesus would have given them a lecture on the evils of premature burials and uh, would not have raised him from the dead. But the scripture is plain. Luke was a doctor, and I guess he knew when a person was dead. And uh, he raised him from the dead. And that's a greater miracle than healing, but that boy would get sick and die again. And then another miracle takes place, and that's the miracle that we read about in our lesson this morning. And it's a greater miracle than all of these because it's a miracle that lasts for all eternity. And it's a miracle that everyone here needs. We need forgiveness more than we need healing. It costs the most because the Son of God go, went to the cross. The next Sunday we will celebrate the Lord's Supper here. And you'll see something of the cost in the broken body and the shed blood. And it's the greatest miracle because it does the most good. When we are forgiven, we have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And it's the greatest miracle, really, because it's the hardest to truly appropriate and believe. And so we turn then to verse 36. And we see this Pharisee. Now, you know all about Pharisees. They are the separated ones. I was tempted to call the sermon Pharisees and prostitutes, but I didn't figure that would go over too good. But, it, but that's about the case. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house. He went there. I expect that in an expansive and generous mood, the Pharisee had said, come and see us. We want you to be sure and come. Come over to our house any night. We're always glad to have you. And then when Jesus showed up, he thought, oh, goodness, why did I ask him to come here? And you ever felt that way? You have. Uh, there he made an invitation to Jesus to come. Maybe he was a collector of personalities. Anyway, he asked Jesus to come, and Jesus accepted the invitation, and he went. I think he was accustomed to being treated like this. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And the word for sinner here is very straightforward and very, uh, very graphic. It means simply that she was a street walker, that she was a prostitute, and it was very evident. Now then, a Pharisee would not want such a woman as this to come into his house. I doubt if many of us would. And so before we're too hard on Simon the Pharisee, we have to get some picture of what's taking place. This woman, I think, must have heard Jesus preach. And she knew that Jesus could give her a brand new life. 
She knew that she needed more than anything else in all the world forgiveness. And I think she had already been saved that Jesus had already preached and she had accepted the message which he had brought and that she was forgiven. If you take the trouble to get a harmony of the Gospels and see what was taking place, that marvelous sermon in which Jesus utters the words, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Those blessed words from Isaiah that he would preach the gospel to the poor, not simply the poor economically, but the poor in spirit who knew their need. Those blessed words from Isaiah which said, Come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And this woman, her heart had been like the troubled sea which could not rest, casting up mire and dirt. She was burnt out and jaded inside, and she felt it. Her honor was gone, her purity was gone, her girlhood was gone, everything beautiful in her life was gone. But she heard the voice of Jesus. And perhaps Jesus looked at her. And when her eyes met the eyes of Jesus, she saw something different. Other men looked at her, to be sure, but never had such a look as his came. It was different, and she knew it was different. And she knew that the invitation was for her, too, and that she could have the forgiveness of her sins, and she was forgiven. And the great love that she displays here is a result of the fact that she is forgiven. And so when she learns that Jesus is at dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. She goes there and takes with her a vial of perfume. If you read in Proverbs, the warning about the women of the street is that they have perfume. And here is a tool of her trade. We even read that it costs 200 denarii. That's almost a year's wages of a working man. And she brought that and came into this house of Simon the Pharisee to his utter horror and came up behind Jesus because they would eat in a reclining fashion, leaning uh, on their left elbow and reaching for food with their uh, feet sort of curled in back of them. And she came in back of him. And Simon the Pharisee had neglected the commonest of courtesies, which would have been to have greeted Jesus at the door and to have kissed him. If you watched Menachem Begin and, and Anwar Sadat the other night on television, they embraced each other. Well, Simon the Pharisee would have gone to Jesus at the door had he really welcomed him and embraced him and kissed him on either side of the face. But he omitted that courtesy. No slave came and met Jesus and washed the dirt away from his feet. No one came with some oil and placed it on his head, some scented oil. All of these courtesies were omitted. But the woman came and knelt behind Jesus and stooped down and she took her box of precious ointment 
and she broke it, intending to anoint his feet. And as she broke the little box, and the fragrance of it began to sift out through the room, I think she must have reached out and touched the foot of Jesus. And as her flesh touched his flesh, all of the fountains of the deep were broken up, and she began to weep. And the teardrops began to fall off of her cheeks. The hot tears ran down her face, and then the tears dropped upon his feet. And she was embarrassed, and in the confusion of it, she took the tresses of her hair and began to wipe away the tears. And then more tears came, and more tears came. And she wept copiously. The tears fell. Now Simon the Pharisee was appalled by this. How would you have felt at such a display of emotion? The other day I wondered how some people felt when some young people were raising their hands or coming forward. Never get into the business of having a cold heart like Simon the Pharisee. He was blind. He was judging Jesus. He was saying within himself a little speech, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Well, he knew who and what manner of man Simon the Pharisee was. And Jesus had more of a problem with him than he had with this woman. And so Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, when he heard him thinking, he, had, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, say it, teacher. And then Jesus tells this incredibly beautiful and simple little story. A certain money lender had two debtors. Now, money lenders are not always pictured in a very good light in Scripture. In fact, the other two times that money lenders are talked about, they turn those who owe them debts over to the torturers until they've paid everything, or they sell their wife and children. You remember in two other stories that Jesus told. Last summer, I was going through a stack of bills, and something had happened between the insurance and the hospital bills that we had and the other things that had came in. And I was looking at this stuff at night. Don't ever do that. And uh, uh, one, one bill had a little yellow thing on it that said, if you don't pay this, it's going to be turned over to a uh, collection agency. And I thought the insurance company had paid it, and I was worried about that thing. And I went to sleep, and I dreamed that I owed more money than there was in the whole world. It's the craziest dream. I dreamed I owed more money than there was in the whole world. I guess President Carter feels that way. But anyway, I woke up. I felt a little better. Um, I woke up from the dream. Now, this is the way this woman was. Here is a money lender. We don't pay enough attention to this money lender in this. You don't find many money lenders like this money lender. This moneylender had these two people, one owing 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly, and frankly means graciously, lovingly, he graciously forgave them. 
He let them go scot-free. They didn't owe it anymore. You find me a moneylender like that. Now that's what Jesus said. God is like that. And he's like that because Jesus has paid the price and we appropriate it through faith. And this is the wonderful thing here. This love and grace which God extends. This poor woman who thought that there was no hope for her whatever in life suddenly realizes that all her sins, which are many, can be gone. When Estelle was playing the hymn a while ago by, by Spafford, one line in that hymn ought to be remembered by all of us. My sins, which are many, are all washed away. My sin, not in part, but the whole. They are nailed to his cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. You see, the debt is paid. The greatest miracle in the Bible, because it costs the most. Colossians 2.10 is a passage of scripture that's well worth your knowing about. Because in Colossians, you're going to see an example given of this. Look at this. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That is Jesus Christ. Back in that day and time, if you owed money, you could be put in jail for it. But a person might come by and see what amount you owed posted on the bulletin board outside the jail, and write his name across it, and write paid, and fold it over, and you could go free. And this is what happens here. And this is what Jesus wants Simon to see. He wants him to understand that this, this display of emotion, which so provoked Simon's disgust, Jesus did not repulse and put away. Certainly it was shocking, and it needed an explanation. And Jesus did explain it. But this wild creature from the streets, who had been forgiven so much, knew of no other way than this to demonstrate her affection and her love for Jesus, and Jesus didn't kick her away and say, none of this, this is too emotional for me. No, Jesus was gracious, and he accepted it. And he wanted to tell Simon, you omitted even the courtesies. You didn't meet me at the door and greet me with a kiss, but she's been kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. You didn't wash my feet, but she washed my feet with tears. What a tremendous illustration. Washed his feet with tears. And Jesus was moved by it. And he said her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. 
had been forgiven. And that's why she's demonstrated this love in such a tremendous way. But then he was trying to get his point across to Simon. And he said, now, Simon, if you met this money lender and one owed 500 and the other 50 and they had nothing to pay and he frankly forgave them both, which one would love him most? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one that, that owed the most. And Jesus said, now, that's right. Now, that's what this woman has done. That's what this woman has done. She loved much and you were repelled by it. But now Jesus loved Simon too. And that's a point I want to bring out. Jesus wanted to win not only this prostitute to a new life, but he wanted to win this Pharisee to a new life too. And I've often thought how different things would have been if Simon the Pharisee had have said, Oh Lord, I've got him. That's the whole point. I go through these washings every day and these formal prayers every day and the dishes are done in a certain way and I tie the mint and anise and cumin and all this other stuff. But I didn't understand your love for this poor woman. I was treating her like she was carrying, like rotting flesh. I wouldn't have allowed her near me. And yet you've showed me that God is gracious toward her and he's gracious to a hard iceberg of a heart like mine. Oh, Master, thank you, thank you, thank you for showing me that all my pride and stiff formality is not what pleases God, but the love which I should have shown toward this creature. And then only if Simon the Pharisee had looked at the woman and said, listen, I know the kind of life you lived, and I know what the people in the town say, but I can get you a job, I've got money, I can help you, and you don't have to live like that anymore. Oh, my sister, you have taught me a lesson that I needed very much to learn. God is no respecter of persons, but that he looks at the heart inside, not at the outwardness, and I want to help you to a brand new life in him. That's the courage to care. We talked some about it last week. The courage to care about her. And think of what Simon could have learned from it. Does the most good, this miracle. It's a miracle we need the most. It's a miracle that costs the most. It's a miracle that does the most good because it breaks down barriers between people. If I realize how much God has forgiven me, then I can't be too hard on you. And you can't be too hard on me. We have to understand and to love one another. Remember that. You remember last week I said that the cruelest words you can say to another person is, I don't need you. Simon the Pharisee could say to this woman, even though she had repented, we don't need your kind in our church. Even though you're repented, remember we're a very aristocratic group, we're very learned, we don't need your kind, you're a foreigner. You're black, you're poor, you're ignorant. We don't want your type. I'm sure she felt all that rejection and hostility when she came in the room, but she knew the one who would not reject her, and that was Jesus. Mary Horner sang that beautiful little song a while ago,
written by Joseph Hart. He lived only eight years after his conversion. 20,000 people attended his funeral. He lived in the city of London. And those words are so beautiful. Come ye sinner, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to greet you, all the beauty, love, and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. That's what Jesus does. That's why it's so great a miracle. The analysts, the psychiatrists, the other people can talk, but who can take away my sin? No one except Jesus. Because the violin was so pretty. I want to say again this old poem, which is nothing but doggerel, but it says it beautifully. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folk, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar once, a dollar twice, two dollars. Now who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going and gone, but no. From the back of the room, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening in its loosened strings, he plays a melody, pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, said, Now what am I bid for the old violin, and held it up with a bow? A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered. But some of them cried, we do not understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and scarred by sin, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, and almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul or the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. When we believe that, he changes us, and we go out of here today changed. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can accept him right now in your own heart. Let us bow in prayer. O God, our Father, we thank thee for the great love wherewith thou hast loved us, and how we thank thee that thou art willing to receive us, each one, needy as we are, stiff and formal and cold in heart, are weary and brokenhearted because we sense and know our own sins. So, Father, according to our needs, bless us and help us to sense thy presence and accept thy gracious invitation. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
our teacher and guide and friend, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.